Welcome to the Peaceful Life Podcast. This is your host, Laura, coming to you from a cottage in the woods in the beautiful mountains of California. Today's episode is about two subjects that are related and are near and dear to my heart, Quiet and Mr. Rogers. Let's talk about Mr. Rogers first. 2018 marks the 50th anniversary of the national premiere of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood on PBS. When I think of people living or past who have really influenced my life and stood for peace, Mr. Rogers, Fred was his first name, is one of them. He was a staunch ally and supporter of children, children's rights, the civil rights movement, and the differently abled, any type of person who was marginalized, shamed, or oppressed. Fred Rogers received his bachelor's degree in music composition, and later he got a master's in divinity from the Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Yes, Mr. Rogers was an ordained minister. He launched his children's television show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, locally in Pittsburgh in 1966, and then two years later, it went national on PBS, the public broadcasting system. Mr. Rogers was also a supporter of public television, and I urge you to go to YouTube and watch his plea to Congress to keep public television funded. It's an issue that we still face today. I was five years old when Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood debuted, but I don't remember not having Mr. Rogers in my life. I watched it every day. In contrast to the cartoon shows or Bozo or all the other shows aimed at children, Mr. Rogers talked quietly. He made us feel good about ourselves and sang catchy songs about loving ourselves, being kind to others, and it being okay to express our feelings. When interviewed, Fred Rogers said that he was a chubby child and was often bullied. With his show, he wanted to convey that children are okay just the way they are, and it's okay to have feelings and talk about them. This was a new ideology in the mid-century when parents were still telling children to be seen and not heard, and especially telling boys that it wasn't okay to cry. There's a small book called You Are Special, named after one of his songs, containing snippets of wisdom from Mr. Rogers, great advice for living, which still rings true. I'll put the link to it on my website. Fred Rogers was a quiet man, and he believed in the power of quiet to lead a peaceful life. He wrote a song about that, too. Peace and quiet, peace, peace, peace. Peace and quiet, peace, peace, peace. Peace and quiet, peace, peace, peace. We all want peace. We all want peace. Most introverts already understand the power of quiet. That's why they prefer being home, in their own space or alone, it energizes them. I'm one of those people. 
probably why I'm sitting here in my closet in my little house in the mountains, creating a podcast about peace. When I first moved here, the first thing I noticed was the incredible quiet. It spooked me even. All my life I've lived in a noisy city and now there was nothing, especially at night. No sound. We're not even in any airline flight paths. Well, I suppose I hear an occasional owl or a coyote. It's almost like a movie soundtrack. Many times we're uncomfortable in silence, especially during conversation. It's tough to be with someone and not have constant chatter. But all across the world, there are people who are embracing this quiet movement. For hundreds of years, Trappist monks and nuns have been known for living a very silent life. There are times that they speak and converse, but a majority of their day is spent in silence. Currently, there's a renewed interest in silence and human behavior. You can find silent spiritual retreats, silent dinner parties, and even silent speed dating. Can you imagine that? 60 seconds of just gazing into another person's eyes? I'm not sure I could even do that. The famous American composer John Cage has a piece called Four Minutes and 33 Seconds, in which the score tells musicians to not play their instruments for all three movements. Four minutes and 33 seconds of silence. If you live or work in the city, and have the opportunity to take a vacation this year, try booking someplace quiet. Of course, I'd recommend a cabin in the woods, but try to go anywhere where you won't hear sirens or planes or construction noise, and you can experience true quiet and how it has an effect on you. If you can carve out just a couple of minutes to have quiet time each day, you can heal a lot of the stress that encroaches on your peace. You could even make it a game with the kids. Start out with one minute, just 60 seconds of quiet, then go to five, then 10. Maybe you can get to a half hour. Then see if the entire family can be quiet for one whole hour. Make it a special time for reading, snuggling, or just looking out the window. If you live alone or don't have children, try it with yourself. I would have loved to have met or even spoken with Mr. Rogers, as he is truly one of my heroes. In preparing for this episode, I found a woman who did know him. She worked with him and calls him her mentor. So I asked her to be on the show, and to my delight, she agreed. Dr. Susan Lin is an award-winning puppeteer and an international expert on creative play and the impact of media and marketing on children. Dr. Lin is a lecturer on psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and a research associate at Boston Children's Hospital. She has written two books, Consuming Kids, The Hostile Takeover of Childhood, and The Case for Make-Believe, Saving Play in a Commercialized World. Welcome, Dr. Lynn, to the Peaceful Life podcast. I'm so happy to be chatting with you. So this year, we, the whole country, the whole world is celebrating the 50th anniversary 
of the premiere of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood on PBS. And not many people know about his off-screen life. So tell us the story about how you met Fred Rogers and what he means to you. I, I met Fred when I was 19. I had seen his program on WGBH, and he was doing exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I'm a ventriloquist. I was beginning to earn my living that way at the time. So I and I was very interested in child development. So there he was, you know, combining everything that I loved. So I sent him a letter and he wrote me back and said that I could come see him. So I took a plane to Pittsburgh. Wow. I still remember what I was wearing. <laughs> What were you wearing? I was wearing a burgundy sheath jumper that I had made, actually, and a pink blouse and a bow in my hair. I must have looked like I was uh, 12. So I met him and I showed him my puppets. And I was hoping that he would say, come, be on my show. And he didn't. He was wonderful to me. But he didn't say, come be on my show. And so that was kind of disappointing, but he was very encouraging. And we stayed in touch for, you know, the next year, writing letters occasionally. And then suddenly there was a letter in the mail from the producer of the show asking me to come down and be on the show. And that's how our long-time relationship began. That's really amazing. So what was it like working on the show? What was what was the set like? Is he as peaceful as he seems to be on air? Fred Rogers was a human being. I mean, he wasn't a perfect person. Mm-hmm. Um, he had feelings. But, but pretty much what you saw in the show was what you got. There was no phoniness about him. Mm-hmm. That, you know, he really passionately cared about children. He cared about the topics that he was raising. And um, when I was writing my book, The Case for Make-Believe, I went back and looked at a a lot of his shows. And really, that show was probably the most radical children's television show that's ever been on the air in the United States. Right. I, I know that sounds funny because it was couched in a in a sort of 1950s look. And, you know, he, he went on the air in the 60s and things were really exploding around the country. And he did shows on hunger. He did shows on war. He did shows on conservation. And equality, too. I I think I just read that um, it was the first kids' television show that had a Black character. Right. Wow. Yes. I remember there was one where he and um, Officer, I can't remember his last name right now, but who's a Black opera singer, Mm -hmm. where they, they were soaking their feet together. Right, right. And, you know, later, actually, um, 
many years later, I went on to create and work with his production company to do a whole series on racism for first to third graders, a video series, you know, designed to help kids and teachers talk about racism and prejudice and diversity. It was called Different and the Same. One thing I learned from reading about Fred and and some of his writings is that one of his major philosophies was go simple and go deep. Um, Is that something that you've taken to heart? And like, what does that mean to you? Um, I think that we live in a culture that certainly began with the advent of television to um, skate over things, you know, to be facile, to be quick. And I think it's really critical for children that they have the opportunity to experience conversations and depth. I mean, children have the capacity to feel deeply. Now, Fred Rogers passed in 2003, and although the internet had been around and publicly accessible for seven or eight years by then, but that was still pre-Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and phone apps. You know, what do you think his recommendations would be for kids in social media, and or what are yours? Obviously, I can't speak for Fred, mm-hmm. but I know that he valued two things. He valued many things, but two of the things he valued were silence and creative play. Mm-hmm. And that leads me to think that he would actually be horrified by what's happening in children's media today. Mm-hmm. The amount of time that kids spend with media, even very young children, is escalating. Um, there's a lot of noise in children's lives. And I think that was problematic for him then, even. And I think that it would be problematic, even more problematic today. Yeah, he was a, a big proponent of peace and quiet and and quiet time leading to peace. Um, and also, um, children need quiet in order to create. Mm-hmm. And in order to play creatively, they need silence. They need a chance to be able to differentiate themselves from all the chatter and the glitz around them. Of course, adults need peace also and quiet. Um, Now, talking about the media, you served as founding director of the Campaign for a Commercial Free Childhood for 15 years. That's amazing. And kids are just inundated with advertising messages now from television to internet to even apps on their phone. Um, And I read an article you wrote in Huffington Post about, I I couldn't believe this, a co-branded relationship between Lego and Shell Oil. Uh, Why does a child need to learn about Shell Oil? What is happening there? Well, I mean, from my perspective, there's no reason why a child needs to know about Shell Oil. (laughs) But from Shell Oil's perspective, the purpose of that was to brand kids early, um, to to develop the, the brass ring of marketing, 
which is lifetime brand loyalty. And in fact, you know, there are studies showing that the brands that we are attached to in childhood can often be the brands that we are attached to as adults. So that has justified all sorts of partnerships where um, companies that make things for adults are marketing to children. I mean, children are a once and future consumer group. I think that it's imperative that we carve out commercial-free, screen-free, technology-free time and space for children so that they can have the experience of generating their own play and their own thoughts, and so they can act instead of just reacting. But, but there's another issue as well, and that is that the fundamental message of marketing is that the things we buy will make us happy. I actually went over that my very first episode, and that was on um, decluttering. And I had a little segment on decluttering your children's room and how I've walked into friends' homes where there was just toys all over the place. And I couldn't believe it. And you have to you have to teach your children to be responsible consumers, and you can teach it to them young. But you're right, that's not what brings you peace. That might placate you for, uh, you know, one or two days, but then the novelty wears off and you're going to want something else. The primary way that we can encourage children to consume less or to raise children for whom consumption isn't a primary need is to ensure that they have experiences that are joyful and meaningful without stuff. We can recognize the importance of having time away from bombardment by our devices and, you know, to ensure that kids do have time outside or in parks or in playgrounds, at least, where they're not hooked up to some device. Okay, last but not least, how would you define a peaceful life? I think that that knowing yourself and really knowing who you are, your strengths, your weaknesses, and having a handle on that is a step toward inner peace. I think that that that's a way that that we can um, meet the slings and arrows that life throws us. So I think the other thing, the other way to lead a, a peaceful life is to really know what your values are and to try to live a life that's consonant with your values. That's a great answer. Thank you, Dr. Lynn, for joining us. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you, and I, I really appreciate you sharing your time with us. Well, I've enjoyed talking with you, Laura, so thanks for asking me. For more information and references that we made in this episode, please visit the website, thepeaceful.life. For feedback on this or any other episode, feel free to email me, laura at thepeaceful.life. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or anywhere 
that you get your podcasts. We appreciate you joining us. You are a spectacular human being. Have a great week.